This is a free download from Delancey Elam Church. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30am in the Delancey Elam Church building at LeBanks St. Sampson's in the Channel Island of Guernsey. To contact us or find out more information about us, please visit our website at delanceyelam.co.uk. four ingredients we looked at the incense some of the incense that was used on uh, in the tabernacle the incense we looked at the four ingredients of that took place for that incense and I said that those four things are, are so important if we want passion for God four ingredients were sacrifice we're to have passion for God there's, there's got to be level we're going to have sacrifice it's going to cost us something anyone found that you know, anybody tells you that being a Christian is, is a costless experience it's not telling you the truth, because to be a Christian and to really follow God is often going to involve sacrifice. So to have passion means it's going to cost you, it's going to involve sacrifice. Second thing is expression. Passion always flows through expression. If we're really passionate, there'll be some levels that we express that passion for God. Third ingredient we looked at was honor. Next thing, to have real passion, we need to honor, and honor God. Honor people. We live lives of honor. And the fourth thing was to be authentic. I think sometimes if we want passion for God, there's got to be an authenticity about us. We can't cover things up. We can't hide things in our lives. There's got to be a, a real sense of, of real honesty and openness before God. Passion, really, when you think about it, is something that we see. Isn't that right? You, you see passion in someone. And when you see passion in someone, it inspires you and stirs you and and it kind of gets to you and really lifts you up. Have you noticed that apathy has the same effect? Ever been in an atmosphere where there's kind of apathy there, and you feel that, oof, that apathetic atmosphere? And that kind of drains you and often affects us. And we often can tell when we're in an apathetic atmosphere and when we're in a passionate atmosphere. It's something you can sense, it's something you're aware of, it's something that you can touch. Here's what, as we look at passion, here's the thing I want to see. Often, our wrong concept of God affects the way we relate to him. If we've got a wrong concept of God, we're never going to really relate to him as God wants us to relate to him. Here's what I'm getting at. You'll never really have passion for God until you first of all comprehend he has got burning passion for you. You'll never, be more you'll never be more passionate for God than how you perceive of how passionate he is for you. And I think this is the big thing. That often we're not passionate enough for God. It's because we've never had a real, true revelation of how passionate he is for us. Because if we don't comprehend that, if we don't get a revelation of how that he's a God of burning passion for you, then your heart will never really be ignited with passion. True passion really begins when I get a real revelation of God's burning passion for me. How many find Zaphaniah there? there? I thought I'd give you time to find it. Uh, Zaphaniah chapter 3. 
I think this is such an amazing, incredible verse. I want to just spend just a few moments letting this verse sink into your heart because it's the most awesome, incredible verse you could ever read. It's how God views you this morning. The kind of way God looks at you. Remember the way God looks at you? I think we often have never really grasped how God really sees us. Listen to what he says. Zephaniah 3.17 The Lord, your God, in your midst, the mighty one will save. The mighty one, he will rejoice over you with gladness. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. What I'm looking at, I've got this amazing verse. It's a translation to that verse. Listen to this translation to that verse. Great translation. The Lord your God is with you all the time. He is powerful. And a mighty warrior who saves you. When he thinks of you, he exalts in festive pleasure and with great delight. At other times, he becomes quiet as he reflects on his deep affection for you. He celebrates you with joyful singing. Isn't that amazing? I think the thing that stirs passion is an understanding that God actually enjoys me. How many believe that? How many really believe that God enjoys you? Do you really think that? Do you really think God tolerates you? God puts up with you? God suffers you? Or does God really enjoy you? And that verse tells me that God actually enjoys you. He doesn't tolerate you. He doesn't put up with you. Actually, he's crazy about you. Isn't that amazing? God is actually crazy about you. His mind is full of thoughts towards you. As he considers fresh and exciting ways to shower you with good grace. Even as you drift to sleep, he's thinking of you. And he's thinking of you all the time. In fact, the Bible says the thoughts that God has towards you are more than the sand on the seashore. And that's a lot. That's the amazing thoughts. And the Bible tells me in Jeremiah that his thoughts to you are to bless you. Are good thoughts towards you. To give you a hope, to give you a future. Is that right? Let's look at this verse. Let's think about this verse. This is what it says. It says, He will rejoice over you with gladness. And that word gladness there means festive, festive pleasure or great delight. When God thinks about you, He explodes with great gladness. There is the gladness of God that He wants to bestow upon you. The Bible says, he is a glad God. Get older. He's a glad God. He was glad a billion years ago. He's a glad God now, and he'll be a glad God for all eternity. And we're going to enter into kind of, if you like, the well of that gladness forever. God is a glad God. This is what I found. What aspect or concept you behold of God, you become. I think some Christians are miserable because they've never really beheld God as a glad God. They see him as a miserable God. And because they perceive him as a miserable God, that's often the way they are. 
But when you perceive God to be a glad God, what you behold, you become. He's a glad God. He has great delight over you. He explodes when he thinks about you in great celebration. Listen to this as well. He says he will quiet you with his love. That God is so absolutely absorbed in you, almost he doesn't feel any need to say anything. He just wants to embrace you in his arms and quietly enjoy your presence. He says, I'm sitting here just enjoying being with you. Isn't that amazing? I remember when our girls were, were just babies, actually. I don't there's anything greater than I just used to kind of just as they were going off to sleep and after that, everyone used to do this on their forehead just to get them to sleep. Remember that? Just as kind of strip, strip their foreheads. Then eventually they'd get off to sleep and I just didn't say anything. I just used to look at them and be absolutely amazed. Quieting myself and as I looked upon them, gazing upon them, being amazed at them. One commentator puts this. He says this, to consider God sinking in contemplation over a once wretched human being can hardly be absorbed by the human mind. Amazing. God looks at you and he's contemplating you. Quietly observing and contemplating how much he loves you and how awesome you are to him. Isn't that amazing? Listen to what he says. It says that also it says that he will Rejoice over you with singing. You know, God sings. That's all right. I don't know what his voice is like, but God sings. And the Bible says he sings over you. He loves you with such emotional vitality. He celebrates who you are with joyful singing. Isn't it amazing that when you're really joyful, often you sing a song. Is that right? You know, when you're really, you know, things are going well, you're up in the car, the sun's shining, you know, windows are down and life's great. And, and you start singing some song. You just sing songs. It's the way we express joy. And God expresses joy over who you are by joyful singing. And notice this. It's not what he sings about. It's who he sings about. You are his great delight. You make him glad and he sings over you. And he says, this God is the God who's in your midst. The God with unlimited power is in your midst and he's the God who, who contemplates you, rejoices over you, sings over you, quiets himself over you. Isn't that wonderful? What a God we have. What a God of incredible passion for you. Now think about this. When Jesus came to earth, he began to reflect what God was like. He showed us something of what the Father was like. And, and he came with passion. He revealed his passion. Jesus reached out. He connected with people. He accepted people. He affirmed people. And just look at the ways that Jesus expressed his passion. I think his ability to express passion. He wept. He was joyful. He was angry. He was grieved. He was sorrowful. The Bible says he prayed strong prayers. I love what Revelation 1.14 describes Jesus as. He says his eyes 
What a flames of fire. Do you know your eyes really are, you can often find out where people feel. Have you noticed that? You can often tell the way people are or how they feel simply by what's in their eyes. How many found that? Your windows really, your eyes are the windows to your soul. And the Bible says that Jesus' eyes were, were as flames of fire, burning with passion, awesome passion. He was passionate. And that's why we need to be passionate like Jesus. Need to be passionate about his cause. Passionate about the things that he's passionate about. And I believe, well, he's, number one, he's passionate for Guernsey, is that right? He's passionate for broken, hurting people. He's passionate for lost people. Jesus burns with mighty passion. And part of growing close to God is that we begin to be passionate about the things he's passionate. We, we feel the things he feels. We, we, well, our hearts are burned with the things that he's burning with. And, and we, we're identifying with the things he identifies with. Jesus showed his passion by standing up against all that was wrong. Particularly those who misrepresented God. That stirred his passion. When religious people misrepresented who God was like, it stirred the passion of Jesus. And through his strength, he revealed his passion. Through his tenderness, he revealed his passion. I think of the woman of the well who was rejected, who was cast aside in her community, who had failed, who lived a broken life. The Bible says she'd been married five times and she was broken and, and rejected and, and totally cast aside. And Jesus went to speak into her life. He spoke into that woman's life. He, she says, I'm a Samaritan and I'm a woman and I'm a castaway, and you come and speak to me, ask me for a drink. Jesus began to reach out to her. I think of, I think of how that broke into her heart. Because Jesus is passionate about you. What's your concept of Jesus? Is he someone remote, distant, uninterested? Or do you see him? There's a God who burns with fiery passion for you. Through his tenderness, we see his passion. I think the Bible describes Jesus, and actually it was used in a negative way to criticize him. How many have found that sometimes? That sometimes somebody can say something critical of you, but instead of criticizing you, it actually is a word of encouragement. How many have found that sometimes? They called Jesus, he was a friend of sinners. That's how they described him, a friend of sinners, because he valued people. I remember when the leper came to Jesus, somebody who was described as untouchable. The last thing you did to lepers was touch them. Can you imagine living most of your life without no one ever embracing you, nobody ever touching you, and no one ever communicating to you? And when this leper came to Jesus... The first thing Jesus did, we're told, was he reached out and he touched him. You know, touch has an amazing impact on people. Ever felt kind of a little bit down and someone comes and puts their arm around you? Someone may give you a hug, an embrace. There's something about touch that encourages and soothes the heart. 
And Jesus reached down, touched that leprosy, that, le- that man full of leprosy, touched him and says, I will be healed. He touched him. I think of a woman with that blood condition. Because she had this blood condition, she was cast out of society. Really, because of, uh, because of that blood condition, she, she wasn't allowed to, to, to get involved or, or be around people. And the Bible says that she reached out, she touched the hem of garment, and Jesus says, who touched me? You know what he said that for? Because now this lady could come back into community. She could be connected again. She could, be, she could sense the value there again. And Jesus wants you to know this morning how valuable you are to him. He wants to communicate that to your heart. He wants to reveal that to your heart. He wants you to see your value and your worth. And as you see your value and your worth, as you see Jesus through his passion, through his tenderness, through his strength, the passion of Jesus, he wants to explode in your heart. He wants you to see how passionate he is for him so that you become a person of amazing passion. I think of the cross. The cross is God's passion in action. The cross is a demonstration of God's extravagant, passionate love. I think the cross is the nature of God. He's sacrificial. He's generosity. He gives because of who he is. You know what the cross is? The cross is a divine exchange. God takes all that you are so that you can become all that he is. A divine exchange. Paul said this, He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Isn't that a powerful statement? He took, and I think we're often aware of this, but do we really continue to be amazed at this? He took our sin on himself. I'm told that when he was crucified, the nails they used were six-inch nails, often the kind of nails that you'd use for, for railway tracks, actually. Through crucifixion, those nails were not just there, in that part of his wrist, just between his hand and his wrist. You know, that's one of the most sensitive parts of your body. Most of your nerves flow through there. When those nails were smashed through his hand, it had been like, like electricity, like lightning striking his body. Such was that pain that had gone through that. Book of Colossians said this, he took the handwriting of the law that had broke, that we had broken, and he nailed it to the cross. In other words, he took all your sin, and he, it's like a picture of this whole list of all your sins, the handwriting, the things the devil uses to accuse us with. And when Jesus went to the cross, all our sins were hidden by his hand. He represents all the guilt of the past, all the accusations. So when I realize that, all the guilt, all the condemnation is removed because there's a realization and exchange took place. He took all my sin, all my messes, all my mistakes. He took the most horrendous sins that's ever committed by the whole world. He absorbed all the sin. 
He who knew no sin became sin for us. And there's the incredible thing. So that we might become the righteousness of God. So that we might have a right standing with God. You become righteous, not when you get everything in your life together. You become righteous the moment you get saved. You become a brand new creation. You receive a brand new nature. You have a right standing with God by the blood of Jesus. It's a divine exchange. That's the passion of God. Can you say amen? The passion of God. The Bible says, if look at Galatians 3 verse 13 to 14, it also says that he became a curse for us. A divine exchange, he became a curse. Well-known verse, Galatians 3, verse 13 to 14. I want you to get the, the depth of this. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, as it is written, Cursed everyone who hangs on the tree, that the blessings of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus. That we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Isn't that amazing? We enter into the blessings of God, the blessings of Abraham. Isn't that amazing? Because he became a curse for us. Before we were struggling and striving, things constantly going against us, almost a curse, almost something like an invisible force that seems to hold you back from living the life that you know you should live. This unseen realm, this curse. And the Bible says Jesus became a curse for us so that we might enter into blessings, that we might live a blessed life. We might know the blessings of God, the favor of God upon us, not because anything we have done, but because Jesus took the curse. Jesus took a divine exchange. I'll take the curse that should have been on you so that you might come into the blessings. Isn't that amazing? A divine exchange. He became rejected so that we might be accepted. I think often the reason why people lose passion and they feel passionless in life is because they feel rejected. They feel so unlovable, it kills the passion in their hearts. Ever felt betrayed or rejected or abandoned or lonely? Jesus took it all so that you could walk in his acceptance. He did it all. Here's the point. What we need to do is kind of lay hold of it. We can live with so much junk in our life because we've never realized the power of the cross. We've never realized that every issue that we face in life finds its solution in the power of the cross. We need that by revelation. You never work it out in your heads. It's by revelation you understand. The passion of God's love is expressed by the cross. I no longer have to live with rejection. I no longer have to live with all this stuff in my life because Jesus dealt with it at the cross. And I believe by faith he did it for me on the cross. A divine exchange took place. Not because I earned it, not because I deserved it, but because of the passionate love of Jesus. Have a thought about this. 
even though Jesus is raised from the dead and lives forevermore, bless his name, he still carries in his body for all eternity the marks of the cross. He still carries with him the marks of the cross. And I think a good way to kind of allow the work of the cross to get a hold of you, I call this way, to walk through the Gospels and to see the cross. I want you to see something about the cross. Jesus died because of us. We actually crucified him. Until you grasp that, you'll never really see the passion of the cross. If we kind of, if we kind of see it as, as somebody else's problem or, or something else, we've got to see that we actually put Jesus on the cross. And the more you understand that, the more you understand something of the passion of God's heart that Jesus did on the cross. Just think about this. Just think of some of these moments of the cross and realize it was because of our sin, because of what we did, we nailed him. We participated in it. Maybe not physically, but really spiritually, we participated in the death of Jesus. Think about it. The Bible says in the garden, Judas came and betrayed him with a kiss. I'm just wondering this morning, have there been times in our life when we says we love Jesus, but we went back on our commitment? We says we loved him, but we went back in some level of our commitment. They took him before the Sanhedrin, and they began to falsely accuse him. I'm just wondering about in our life. Have we in our life blamed God for things that wasn't his fault? Have you ever said, have you ever accused God of something that really he didn't do? Where we falsely accused God, falsely accused him of things he never did. The Bible says that they, they brought him before the guards. They spat upon him. They, they covered him with spit. The Bible says they struck him without cause. I wonder, have we ever spoke angry words against the body of Christ? Ever criticized the body of Christ at some point? And you've spoken angry words. Words without cause. The Bible says they all mocked him. And they all belittled him. How much have we, before we came to Christ, we kind of belittled the things of God. We may have even mocked the things of God. He seemed ridiculous and we mocked Christians and we mocked things. Jesus died for us. The Bible says they whipped him. Sure, should it before, but that whip was straps of leather, and often connected to that strips of, of leather were bones and, and bits of steel, and that would have ripped his back to pieces. The Bible says that by his stripes I'm healed. In other words, Jesus carried our sicknesses and diseases and our pains and our sorrows. His back was ripped for your healing. They got a crown of thorns and they smashed those thorns into his head. You know, thorns were, were often six inches long and they were poisonous thorns. So when those thorns were smashed in his head, his head would have swollen and his head would have just, just grown and the poison would have entered into his bloodstream. I'm just thinking that if we thought thoughts that are wrong thoughts, thoughts that are contrary, 
to what God asks for us in our life. Poisonous thoughts. The Bible says that Barabbas was presented. And it said, you either choose Barabbas or you choose Jesus the Christ. Who do you choose? And the Bible says the crowd cried out, Barabbas, Barabbas, free Barabbas. I wonder, have we chosen things that have been contrary to what God wants for us? Have we often chose the Barabbases of life rather than chose what Jesus wanted for us? They cried out, crucify him, crucify him. Have we ever done that? I'm just wondering when, when he's forgiven us. Paul says, and we knowingly sin against him. Sometimes we almost crucify the Lord afresh. They, he walked through the streets and, and they belittled him and laughed at him. I wonder about all the promises that God has given to us and he's spoken to us. And we've almost watered the promises down. What am I saying? I don't condemn us. What I want us to get a hold of is that we were parked there. We were there. We're not separate from it. We're not away from it. But out of passionate love, he allowed himself to be nailed on this cross. Look at Romans 5, verse 6 to 8. I know these things are familiar to us, but I just want the fresh and anew to get a hold of this. For that passionate love for God burning in us. Romans 5, verse 6 to 8. Listen again to these amazing words. For when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love to us while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. Look at some of the definitions there. It says we were powerless. He didn't wait till we had everything together. We were powerless. There's nothing we could do. But God induced his love towards us when we were utterly helpless. The Bible says we were ungodly. We're so unlike God when he died for us. The Bible says we were sinners far from him. And in that condition, God sent Jesus to die for us. All those things that we're so familiar with, that we're so aware of, that we know so well, yet we've got to get a hold of them. And sometimes to get that cross in us, we've got to take a journey of it. And we need to reignite in our heart. See what Jesus did in the cross. I think the biggest problem today is that we, we take it so much for granted. We're so, we're so aware of it. We, we get so accustomed to it. We lose the sheer depth of it. We lose who he did it for. We lose the fact that we were involved in that. We were part of that. I love that great hymn. It says it wasn't the nails that held him there. But it was his great love for us. And the great men of the Bible, the great men of, of, of the ages, if you like, have been people who never got over the cross. If you look at Paul's life and see the incredible impact that man had, it was because he never got over the cross. 
Time and time again, he talks of the cross. I preach Christ and Christ crucified. He continually referred to the cross. It was the thing that stirred him and moved him, the thing that stirred his passion, the thing that caused him to go to the ends of the earth to preach the gospel because he never really got over the cross. He never took it for granted. He never ever became familiar with it. It was something always alive and always afresh. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. I don't live, but Christ lives within me. The reality, the burning fire of the cross almost signaled, it was a, was a marker tattooed upon his heart, if you like. And he lived with a constant sense of gratitude and awareness of the cross. And here's the thing we hear so much about it, we get so familiar with it. It's almost something that we kind of, we move away from. We get over it, if you like. And as we do, so our passion begins to die. As we do, we become passionless, looking just for the the good things, but never recognizing and losing sight of the power of the cross. Really, that's what communion is about. That's why Jesus says, as often as you do this, remember, constantly bring it before your remembrance. Always remember what I did for you. Never lose it. Never forget it. Let it grip you and hold you and stir you and move you. That's the thing that, should, that's the thing that motivates us and brings us into a place of passion. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, verse 15. Paul says, this is the response when we see the, the incredible passion of the cross, when we see what it's achieved, what it's done in our lives, this is the response to it. He who died for all, that those who live should no, live, no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Almost this sense, wow, Jesus did all that for me. and He died for me, gave himself in such a way. And I was part of that. I crucified him and he died for me. And here's the thing. I've got to live the rest of my life totally and utterly for him. I can't live a self-centered life when I realize the power of the cross. I've got to give myself unreservedly with passion to him when I see what he has done for me. Let me just kind of bring this together. Let me give you a few ways of how that love, how you get a revelation of the love, how the love of God, how the, the passion of his love can get a hold of our get a hold of us. There's the first thing. Remember. Just remember, I've mentioned it earlier now. Remind and refresh yourself with the facts of God's alignment. I'll tell you something amazing to do. I think one of the things that often we've lost in this modern age, if you like is the power of meditation. To take the word of God and to meditate and think on it. To center the attention of your heart upon it. Not to read it in two seconds and just do your chapter for the day and forget what you've read. I'm talking about taking the scriptures and thinking and meditating and let them come alive in you. Jesus says the words I speak to you, they are spirit and they are what? Life. They bring life and they bring passion in your heart. I don't encourage you to take it. Maybe I mentioned earlier, Zephaniah 3.17 and other scriptures that talk about the love of God. Meditate on those scriptures. Think on those scriptures. Enter into those scriptures. Begin to, to get a revelation of God's love for you. Meditate. 
Reaffirm them. Confess them over your life. Say, God, you're not against me. You're for me. Lord, what manner of love you've bestowed upon me that I should be called a child of God. Lord, what can ever separate me from your love? And so you begin to confess it. You meditate. You think on it. You eat it, basically. You digest it into your heart. And as you begin to do that, God will give you a revelation of how precious, how, how, how much of worth and value you are to him. So you remember. Second thing is, you receive. We've got to receive the love of God. Romans 5. Romans 5, verse 5. Now listen to this. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, given to us, receive. Paul's describing what God has done to make it possible for us to experience love close and personal. Bible, the word poor there means, it's poor emphasizing how lavish the love of God that's been flooded into our hearts. Listen to what Andrew Murray said about this verse. He says, The heart of, of the believer are regarded as being so infused with the love of God, it controls, it captivates their heart. It's a picture. It's like waves of God's affection, the Father's affection just rolling into your heart. One wave after another wave after another wave of the Father's affection keep being poured and poured into your heart. So all the hurts, all the pains, all the stuff in us begins to get washed out. And God begins to pour in his affections and his love for us. Amen? Just getting poured and poured into the heart. And God says, just open your heart. You know one thing we need to do? Let all the barriers down. All the walls down. Let God invade your heart with his love. So he pours the incredible Father's affection right into your heart. You need to receive it. You remember it. You receive it. And the third thing you do, if you want to really get a revelation of, of the passion of God's heart for you, is to give it away. Everything you get, you've got to just give it. So as I receive love, I don't just store it up and, and just, it's not just for me. I, God pours his love in so I can begin to pour it out. And the more I pour it out, the more God will pour it in. Find somebody who needs encouragement. Someone who needs to, to be affirmed. Somebody who may need, I don't know, a hug or encouraged in some way, or needs to be blessed in some way, and you find someone and you begin to pour that love out. Just begin to pour the love out. And as you begin to pour that love out, so God begins to pour into you. It's almost if we store it up, we don't kind of get anymore. And part of the way to, to, to remove the barriers, if you like, is to pour love out. See, as long as I've got barriers up, I'm not liable to get close to anybody else. I'm not liable to get connected to somebody else. I'm not liable to affirm somebody else or lift somebody else up because there's barriers in me. But when the barriers begin to fall down, I'm actually free to give my love away. And the amazing thing is, if I'm bound up with things, I find it very hard to give love out. 
You know why? Because I don't really trust people. I'm not willing to make myself vulnerable to people. You know, part of love actually is making yourself vulnerable. It really is. If we don't make ourselves vulnerable, we're never really going to love. Because love always means you're going to make yourself vulnerable with the possibility that someone might reject that love. Somebody might not accept that love. But if you're willing to make yourself vulnerable and open your heart and say, you know, I'm going to make myself vulnerable to pour love into somebody else, then God's going to pour his love into you. See, Jesus made himself vulnerable for you. See, that's the motivation. And so we just give ourselves away. You know what it says about Jesus? When he knew the purpose that the Father had for him, the Bible says he got a towel and he began to wash the disciples' feet. He was vulnerable enough to give his love away. He knew who he was in the Father enough to just pour his love out. See, when you know who you are, you can really serve somebody else. If you don't know who you are, you'll always be insecure, always not willing to make yourself vulnerable, to give yourself away. Part of being a servant is knowing who you are in Christ. And when I know who I am in Christ, I'm secure enough to give myself away to you. I'm secure enough to make myself vulnerable to you. Because actually, it doesn't really matter what you think about me. The important thing is what God thinks about me. (laughs) Can you see that? So I just pour myself out. Because of what Jesus has poured into me. I only love because he first loved me. It began with him. I love because he first loved me. George Matheson. How many have you heard of George Matheson? I've read Matheson, yeah. Okay. He became totally blind. His fiance, he was about to marry, when she found out about his impending blindness, left him. And in the midst of his tragedy and and agony, he wrote the most touching hymn of the 19th century. Oh, love, that will not let me go. I rest my weary soul in thee. I give thee back the life I owe, that in thy ocean depths it flows, may richer and fuller be. Love that will not let me go. So that's the thing that keeps us, isn't it? When tragedy and pain and discouragement and, and things don't go our way, there's just this conscious sense in our heart, I'm held by a love that will never let me go. It's so strong. The Bible says the love of God is stronger than death. It's a passionate love. No matter how much I fail, how much I mess up, his love will not ever let me go. So I cannot not give myself more fully to him. Amen. Let's just come before him right now. I just want you to lift your heart to the Lord right now. I said last week, the commandment that Jesus said is the one that everything else is built on. To love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And that's passionate love. We only can get that passionate love when we receive that passionate love within us. Love that won't let me go. How amazing, how awesome this morning is that. A love that when it gets a hold of you will always have your best interests at heart. A love that values you. A love that sees your worth 
A love that wants to give you a purpose and a destiny. A love that we just want to enjoy and, and celebrate and, and just receive more and more of it. And a love that we want to give away to hurting and broken people. That's the love of Jesus. The love that he has for us this morning. The love that won't let you go. How powerful the cross. I pray this morning that we get a fresh revelation of the cross. The cross. Jesus died for me. Gave himself just for me and me alone. The cross of Jesus. Thank you for listening to this free download from Delancey Elam Church. For more downloads, information or to contact us, please visit our website at delanceelam.co.uk.